You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents network of podcasts. Peter Larangis is the author of more than 160 books, which have sold more than five and a half million copies and have been translated into 33 different languages, including The Colossus Rises, the first book of the New York Times bestselling series, Seven Wonders, and two books in the 39 Clues series. Peter is a Harvard graduate with a degree in biochemistry and lives in New York City. Welcome, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now tell us briefly the story of your life and how you grew up to be a best-selling fiction writer by way of a biochemistry degree from Harvard and a ride on Air Force One. Go. <laughs> it happened because I was a really, really terrible waiter. And that's the <laughs> I was born and I became a terrible waiter and here I am today. No, I, um, I grew up in Brooklyn and, and then in Freeport, New York, and I was the kind of kid who just loved books and loved just learning. You know, I kind of, I was a mischief maker, too. I got, I got four consecutive U's for unsatisfactory in behavior, and I, at one point, I remember as a kid, I kind of made a decision. Either I was going to be bored out of my mind and just be a, a, a wild man, or I was just going to, like, pay attention the whole time, um, do, do the homework during class, then I have free time afterwards, and it wouldn't be so, so miserable to be in school. I actually remember making that decision. I can't, you know, believe that I was that mature at that age. And what age was that, downhill roughly? ever since. Uh, probably about eight, seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah, weird, right? And um, so I ended up, you know, kind of waltzing through school, and I'm the oldest in my generation, and... And the pressure to do something really legitimate. Substantial. Was, yeah, and Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to put aside your childish things and become a doctor or a lawyer or something like that. And I felt that pressure really, really hard. And all my cousins looked up to me. And I kind of felt like I was the standard bearer for the Lorangis family. And I, so I, I ended up getting into Harvard. And I figured, well, if I've done that, then, you know, surely I've got to, like, do, become a doctor or something. So I was good in the sciences. And my roommates were were doctors, and I knew I, I, would be the, I would be the worst doctor in the world. I mean, I, I, I grow Why? faint Why at the sight say, of oh, blood. Yeah, oh, no, okay. I just, you know, dealing with people and bleeding and fluids, it just wasn't going to be for me. But I figured, you know, maybe if I really, really tried, it would work, and it just didn't. But I, you know, I'd been advanced enough so that I could kind of finish the courses early enough and then take what I really wanted to take, which was English, music. I sang a lot. I did a lot of theater. And after college, I was totally confused. So I figured, well, I might as well go to law school. I figured that's what you did. So I worked for a year, a little bit less than a year, in a law firm in New York just to see what it was like. And I took the boards, and I got into law school, and I was absolutely miserable about the idea because I'd been spending so much time in New York while working for this firm, taking voice lessons, practicing, going to theater, and really getting the bug for doing that, for doing performing. And I'd been, being, I'd been a singing waiter on Nantucket and Cape Cod yeah. during, you know, to, to work my way through college. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I have this. I've done it. Let me, get, let me just put this in my back pocket and defer for 
for a year. I'll tell them I'm not going to come. I'll give myself one year. So you sat your parents down. Yeah, I said, I said, you know, I'm in and I'm not going. I'm going to tell them I'm going to go next year. And really what I did was I set myself a deadline. You know, little did I know my whole life was going to be all about deadlines. But back then I said one year. And if I, if I, Really, you know, let me try something. Let me try to do something I really, really want to do instead of what I think I should do. And if I don't succeed, well, I'll go to law school. So I, I went to an audition because I thought, let me try theater. I didn't have a resume. I didn't have a picture. I didn't know you were supposed to bring music. Um, I showed up. I, had a, you know, I, I met a friend, coincidentally, who was in that line who said, idiot, <laughs> you need a resume. So he ripped out a piece of paper from a five by eight spiral notebook and I quickly wrote a resume and you know brought it in and I got the job and it led to another job which which got me my equity my actor's equity card and then my third job was a Broadway show and it was all within that year wow and I figured well you know I, I guess I'm not going to law school yeah this is working yeah so I did that so in between acting jobs which I you know I did that for about eight years and in between jobs I had to make some money and uh, I kept getting fired from all these waiting jobs I was a terrible waiter yeah you're either sort of born a waiter or you're not yeah I think it's a gene yeah it's like it's like you want another piece of lemon go get it yourself no you know you know I was not cut out to do that so I you know I got fired from a job and I I was uh, wife who at that time was my girlfriend was living in a big roommate situation and I kind of walked all the way home and said I got fired again and I noticed that one of her roommates was copy editing a book. I didn't know what she was doing. She had a manuscript. You know, she was correcting G. Gordon Liddy's autobiography. You know that that was it. That was the well, book. I said, yes. Yeah. What, are, what are you wow. doing? You know, she was she was drinking coffee and you know listening to Mozart. And and she said, I'm copy editing. I said, you mean you you can do that? And what do you do? You bill them? And she said, Yeah, by the hour. I said, Really? I said, Well, I can do that. I went home. I went literally to the Yellow Pages, which yep. existed back then, and I opened it up to publishers, and I began sending out my resume to the publishers who had entries in boldface because I figured they had more money. And they would send me tests, and I did well. Before yeah, I knew it, I was, right. I was in copy editing, in publishing. I was doing in-house freelance copy editing to pay my bills in between acting jobs, and I got the writing bug again, and I began rewriting a lot of people's manuscripts, and I began saying to myself, you know, this is really the thing that I always wanted to do. This was the thing that I was always encouraged to do when I was in elementary school, and middle school, and high school, and I just denied the fact that I ever could do it. And before I knew it, I was nudging the editors for work for hire projects, and I started writing on my own. And before I knew it, I had to make a decision at one point whether I was going to continue in acting or, you know, be an editor or be a writer. And I gathered up everything that I had published at that point, all my work for hire stuff. And I began going out and trying to get work as a writer. And it just clicked right at the beginning and I never looked back ever since then. Do you basically tell this story when you've, I know you do a lot of visits to schools because I think it's such a great story about being sort of simultaneously spontaneous and hardworking and sort of having a short-term goal and a longer-term goal. So do you talk about this with kids? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I have a very packed you know, our, about hour-long, 45-minute okay, long a- presentation, and then there's Q&A. And I managed to cram a lot of stuff into it. But what I like to do, I mean, when I do school visits, I have a very, you know, I, I have a very focused and specific goal 
Which you is know, well, a lot of the kids are not going to care at all about yeah. writing, and they're just happy yeah. to have an assembly, right? Yeah. And those kids, I want to entertain. Those kids, if if I lose them, you know, it ruins it for everybody else. So at the very baseline, I have to be entertaining. I have to give something to everybody. So I'm giving to them, and I'm making them laugh, and I'm catching their attention. Then there's the middle group of kids, all of whom, you know, like to read, are kind of interested. And to them, I'm humanizing the process. I'm doing like what you suggested. I'm telling them what it's like to be a writer, how you get to it, what, what, how, how you nurture your ideas, how you cultivate, and the importance of revising. I mean, that's the thing that the teachers love a lot, and I do, I do that in a really funny way. And then there's about five or ten kids, and you can always see them. And those kids are, are, are me at that age. And they're the vibrating. Kids, they're vibrating, and, yeah. they're, and you see it in their eyes, and they want to do it. They've got some passion inside themselves that they've already connected with. It might not be writing, it might be art, it might be music, it might be something else, but they really need to hear from somebody, I am a normal person, yeah. I did it, and here's how. I never had that when I was a kid. I, I craved that. I feel like I'm giving to them the thing that I never had when I was that age. Yeah, that must be what motivates you because those trips are difficult, right? You, it's 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 a big think, commitment to, yeah. to go out there and do it. Well, I don't think it is. Oh, I good. mean, I think it's really energizing. When I go out on tour, you know, I'll see tens of thousands of kids. What happens is, you know, basically you you get up at seven in the morning, you go down to a car, and you visit three different, maybe three different schools, and then maybe you have an interview, and then a lunch with with librarians or or, or students, and then a bookstore visit at night and you may have three to five events in the day and then you go back to the hotel and you get up and do it again um, and you do it for weeks and weeks and weeks and I find it's absolutely exhilarating by the end of one of those days uh, I'm ready to party I don't know what it is that's I, great you know it's, it's exhausting it really is I come home after the tour and I sort of have to crash for about three days but it's it's fun and you just it's what you're doing becomes so palpable because you yeah. you see the kids you know you see the kid you see the kids who have read your books you see the kids who are reacting to what you say and you really know that you're reaching people there's nothing like it and what you're the the kids that you're trying to reach are the toughest bunch right that this this middle grade this tween reader between 8 and 12 correct and that's when they really can can start to to drop out. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that you're able to hold them with, you know, with all of these stories and these terrific adventures is is so fantastic. Yeah, well they I think they want to see that, you know, someone that is is kind of normal and likable and and you know has flaws uh, is uh, you know can do something like that. So now tell me who were some of your your early mentors that that helped you believe that you could, you know, channel this passion successfully. You know, it's funny. I had a sixth grade teacher, and her name is Carol Reynolds Holt. I don't know, you know, where she is or whatever happened, but she saw the stuff that I'd written. I'd written some poetry, and she basically took me aside and said, "You're going to be a writer. Wow. You are going to be a published writer, and I'm going to carry around. I'm, I'm going to carry around this mm -hmm. poem. I'm never going to lose it because I know someday I'm going to be saying that I taught you." And I had never, I'd never dreamed that kind of thing, that anybody would say that. And, uh, you know, years later when I became a writer, I, I spoke at her school, Aww. and uh, it was really quite an emotional thing. She, she was there. It was a little intimidating for an 11-year-old to hear that, right? Right. Because then you become a teenager, and you kind of think, well, 
you know, if, if, if the teacher doesn't like what I've written, then I'm a fraud, then, you know, I'm not mm. living up to my potential. You kind of feel like a, bar, a really high bar has been set for you. But I always carried that around with me, I think, and through all those years when I thought I shouldn't do it or I couldn't do it, that voice was always there, that my teacher was always there inside of me, um, and I, I constantly saw her and heard her, and there wow. was always this little uh, ember in the back of my mind that was, that was glowing that, uh, that I could tap in, that I eventually was able to tap into and turn into a career. Now, if you had to recommend a book to a 13-year-old boy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit you from your own but if you wanted to, to, to press a book on, on, upon a child, what, what book would it be? 13-year-old boy, uh, probably, you know, just to give them a challenge, I, I might give him Feed oh, by, by, sure. uh, by Tobin Anderson, M.T. Anderson. Um, or maybe, uh, actually also by same author, um, The Astonishing Life of Octavian Nothing. I, for me, when I was a kid, and for any kid who is growing into adolescence, I think that it's really important to experience a kind of literature that really pushes mm-hmm. pushes the boundaries. Um, and there's a lot of experimental fiction, but I think it's not really geared towards kids, but but you can't you, you can't find a writer who who digs into a voice and digs into character deeper than 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 Tobin, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, and I just, you know, when I come to the end, when I came to the end of each of these books, I, f- I kind of felt like I had to, you know, take my hat off and put it back on again in a different direction because yeah. my head had just been blown open. Um, so, yeah, that would be I. And what are your Desert Island books if I, if I limited you to three, let's say? Oh, that's so unfair. I know, too bad. <laughs> uh, probably The Book Thief, maybe uh, uh, the entire canon of Dr. Seuss. Oh, he's an absolute genius. Maurice Sendak was once asked, you know, how do you, right after uh, Ted Geisel died, he said, how do you characterize a writer like Dr. Seuss? And, you know, Sendak is very irascible and cranky sometimes. You know, he kind of scowled a little bit and he turned back to the camera and he said, I would say he was a revolutionary genius. And I thought, yeah, it's exactly. It's true. Maybe I take uh, Natalie Babbitt, Tuck Everlasting. Oh. I love her books. Um, Patricia McLaughlin's books. I mean, those are the writers. Uh, Philip Pullman. There are certain writers like those three and Tobin, who um, I, I, you know, who I think are just, you know, just really got, just get it. They're perfect. You know, I get to the end of the book and I say, okay, why, why do I even bother? And I like that. You know, yeah. I, I, I like reading people who, who have just mastered it so beautifully. So yeah. Now, one of the, my last question, I I saw on your website that that you invite questions from kids. So I want to ask you actually two parts. I want to ask you, what question do you get most frequently? And then what was one of the most amusing questions that you've gotten? Uh, what I, I mean, the question I get all the time is, do you have tips? You know, okay. I, and sometimes they're specific. You know, I, I can't think of an ending. How do you think of an ending? All my characters start to sound, start to sound the same. I got one recently that said, I'm writing a book, but I'm afraid it's going to sound like the Cain Chronicles, and I don't want to do plagiarism. How can I keep myself from plagiarizing? You know, that's and, such an astute question, though, isn't it? Yeah, and I—I I wish more writers would ask that question. Well, <laughs> and <laughs> this was about the third or fourth contact that I had with oh. this with this kid, and I can tell from the way she phrased things and the way she, you know, and, and what she had 
she was obviously working through uh, a book that she was writing or a story that she was writing, and I and I could tell she was the real deal. She was really thinking deeply about things, and I told her. Eventually, I said, "Look, you know, um, I gave her all the advice that I could, and I and when she said thanks, you know, uh, and we, you know, it was basically signing off. I said, someday, um, th- we're going to meet, and and uh, but I'm going to have to wait in line Aww. for all the people who are signing your book. Oh, that's so lovely. And um, and I've told many many stories of my guinea pig. My kids were going to call this guinea pig Julius Caesar, and then found out that it was female, so she became Julia Caesar." And um, the uh, the great expansion of Julia, she be, she was a tiny little guinea pig, and within a fairly sh- small amount of time, she became an enormous guinea pig because she ate everything. And the kids love the story of how we would come in from shopping and we'd put our bags on the counter, and Julia, if she heard the rustling of a plastic bag, just that sound, she would start screaming, and we'd have to feed oh my all gosh. day long. So you had to be very careful about your either your paper bags or your plastic bags. They both created that same reaction. So I end up telling that story a lot. Kids love oh, animal sweet. stories. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time. This has been really very it's interesting. It's a pleasure. Thanks fun. for having me in. Thank you for listening. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and this episode was edited by Sharon Matlin with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.